Hello and welcome to Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Paul. My co-host, Justin Baker, joining me this morning. It is a, a beautiful Saturday morning in February, freezing cold. I opened up the sliding door to let my dog out and there was just a, happened to be a gust of wind and it like smacked me in the face. So that was a wonderful way to wake up. Uh, this morning, but gotta love the cold weather. It means that we are deep in the hockey season, dude. You're not kidding about the cold weather. I so for those who don't know, it was mid 40s yesterday, and then dropped a good 20 degrees. So not only did I wake up to a smack in the face like yourself, letting the dog out, but uh, went outside to check the mailbox and almost slipped on my face. Oh okay, yeah, yeah, everything just, everything nice. froze over. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm I'm just I'm guessing then that you uh, you failed to shovel your driveway after that slight snow yesterday. So yeah, <laughs> driveway's good. Driveway's good. Oh, but okay, the okay. front porch. Uh, not ah, so much. the porch. That's the yeah. We were over at a friend's house last night and. They hadn't shoveled their driveway, and I was like, "Dude, you probably want to." I know it's like ten thirty, and we've been drinking, but I think you want to get out there and shovel a little bit of your driveway because it's about to turn <laughs> into a sheet. All right, that thing's going to be a rink in the morning. Ah, I'll be fine. No, I'm guarantee it's a rink. <laughs> it's a rink. <laughs> it's a rink. Well, uh, on today's show. We we wanted to start deep diving into different teams across the league as we, you know, we're we're inching ever closer to trade deadline. We're like, uh, what, like just a, about a month away, uh, and a lot of things have been happening since we last spoke. The Edmonton Oilers have finally uh, graciously fired their head coach, and Jay Woodcroft is now the new head coach. So. Uh, Dave Tippett, sayonara, thanks for trying. Uh, Edmonton, trying a new coach. The, uh, what, the fourth in seven years for Connor McDavid, I believe, since he was drafted in 2015. So uh, it's nothing compared to Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who I think has had, was it like 11 coaches that Ryan Nugent Hopkins has had in his career? Uh, Just a crazy amount of coaches. But... We wanted to do some deep dives. We're going to do the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, we are going to talk Boston Bruins. A lot's been happening with the Bruins. And then we want to jump into some Vegas Golden Knights uh, because Jack Eichel seemingly could be on the horizon and uh, trying to figure out how they're going to fit him under the cap. And then, of course, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I think you know probably the, probably the best team in the league that no one has faith in like <laughs> no one no one has faith in them uh yet they're they're like top, you know top five team in the league in terms of points percentage and and men in many other factors expected goals and all this. so they're obviously they're an elite team but nobody expects them to get out of the first round so we got to figure out why and uh we'll go from there so let's start with the edmonton oilers the Edmonton Oilers fire their head coach. They bring in someone who has never been an NHL head coach before, although it, uh, he has been an assistant for a long time. He's been the head coach of their AHL team. Kind of, a, I think, a, a safe move because the Oilers have had a lot of young guys move through their system lately. So uh, Jay Woodcroft has been the guy who's been bringing these guys up onto the the pro roster. So what better time? Kind of a, a Jeff Blashill, Sheldon Keefe. Uh, there's, you know, many guys who have, who have been promoted within from their AHL organization. Those two guys are the first ones that come to my mind. Uh, what do you think that he's going to do? Uh, they've have already played one game against the Islanders, which is, I don't know, not really a test. Uh, but what do you think he's going to do different than Dave Tippett? different oh man i don't know if he can do much different um you know i wouldn't be surprised if we see some line juggling that always seems to occur a little bit when you get new coaches right they try to mix things up a little bit and so i'm gonna pair this guy with this guy and i think this guy should be playing with this person um but outside of that really i think you know the edmonton oilers they've they've got duncan keith now on the shelf so i think one guy who's going to see a lot more playing time with uh with their new head coach is going to be evan bouchard Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I think a guy like that can have an opportunity and see if he can't help boost this offense a little bit more. I know he's not 
the best as far as on both sides of the puck defensively, but he's got a lot of offensive abilities, in my opinion, who, who's someone who can help jumpstart maybe a little bit, you know, on the back end there when, you know, maybe when Tyson Berry hasn't been having the, the best of seasons and Darnell Nurse, for whatever reason, I still don't understand why they gave him nine and a half million dollars. Uh, hasn't looked anywhere near like a nine and a half million dollar uh, defenseman. So, you know, maybe he helps jumpstart Nurse's, uh, you know, Nurse's uh, abilities back there. I don't know what, how to put it really. But um, outside of that, the other thing that I think we could see happen a little bit more and Obviously, I was hoping for it last night against an easy team like the Islanders, but didn't happen. And and that's to see Stuart Skinner play a little bit more minutes in net. Um, obviously, you know Koskinen and Mike Smith haven't got it done for this team. They haven't been great when Mike Smith's been healthy. He's been okay. Um, and and, but, and to be fair, he 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 hasn't even been healthy since he he came back. <laughs> like true, Absolutely. I think they rushed or or he rushed it. I don't you know I don't know. Uh, I, he he played fine last night against the Islanders, but again, it is against the Islanders, who are one of the worst offensive teams in the NHL. So, kind of a an easier night for a starting goaltender. Although, I mean, the Islanders did have thirty eight shots on goal, so <laughs> right. It's not as and if, that's the thing too, right? I think as a new coach, you have to implement, you know, slowly try to implement by maybe trade deadline here in the next month some new defensive strategies, right? I mean, obviously you don't get a full, you know, camp with teams a full entire year. So it's a little bit harder to implement your systems, but I think he's got to tweak things a little bit more on the back end because that's where the problem is, right? These goaltenders are struggling, maybe give them a little bit more help to lock things down defensively. I mean, here's the thing I I get, you know, you've got, you've got the, the, maybe the two best players in the entire world, Dreisaitl and McDavid. Outside of those two guys, I I just don't understand. Like ever, you've everyone has so many different people have tried many different iterations with this group. I think it's time to go. You know, I think we need to probably hamper down on the defensive side of things for a while. Like we are going to solely focus on that, and McDavid and Drysital are going to score our goals and. But we're gonna we're gonna play the, a grinded out like I, maybe they don't have all the players to be able to do that, but definitely a more a, an intense focus on the defensive side of the game. I I feel like it's the only thing they haven't tried, and the reason they haven't tried it is because it well we have McDavid and Drysaddle, we can't be a defensive team, uh, and right. you know how many times. Steve Eiserman, you know, oh, he shouldn't have to. He's it's Steve Eiserman. I mean, the guys put up 130 points. How are we gonna? How are we gonna tell him to to be a defensive juggernaut? And then what do you know? He goes and wins a Stanley Cup because all of a sudden he's a Selkie Trophy candidate every year. Brett Hull, garbage in his own zone. I mean, the year Brett Hull scored 86 goals. I I want to pull. I want to pull up what. Uh, what his stats were for that year, but scoring 86 goals in an NHL season, you would expect that someone's defensive game would look pretty darn good. Uh, he was only a plus 23 with 131 points. Jeez. So, I mean, and 29 of those goals came on the power play. So, okay, let's, let's scrap those. That means he scored 57 even strength goals and, uh, and he had 45 power play points total. So he had, you know, what, basically 86 points on five on five. And he was still just a plus 23. Uh, I mean, in 92, 93, he scored 54 goals, 101 points, minus 27. Uh, he was not known for his defensive prowess. And not the plus minus means everything, but, uh, you know, you, you saw the way that he was. Uh, and the way that he was used once he went to Dallas, they win the cup in 99. And uh, he was much more committed to that defensive side of the game. And suddenly he wins the Stanley cup. I, you, you see it over and over again, that until players are willing to play that defensive style of a game that oftentimes it just doesn't end up working out in terms of actually winning, you know, the, the Tampa Bay lightning, when you look at like a Braden point, Steven Stamkos, those guys are not, I mean, they're, they're probably not winning a Selkie trophy, but they also are very good in their own zone. They're getting back. They're, 
they're contributing defensively. And and I'm not saying McDavid and, and Dreisaitl aren't, but it doesn't appear with the Edmonton Oilers that there is much of a defensive focus. Whereas all the teams that have won the Stanley Cup over the last like let's let's go back to Pittsburgh. I mean, when Pittsburgh won those cups and they were missing their entire defensive core, it was like the whole team just played great defensive hockey together. And and you know, and obviously they they were the ones that started to change that speed game much more, uh, and they were able to rush the puck up. But they they win the cup on the backs of a full team defensive game. The St. Louis Blues don't need to talk much about them because they were one of those like defensive juggernauts that you just couldn't get into their own zone and even do anything. Uh, the Washington Capitals, I mean, it took Ovechkin so long to finally get to that prize because and. And it's not as if he was playing this pure defensive game, but the team as a whole had gotten to this point where they, they were playing really responsible hockey. Uh, and, and the list goes on and on. The Tampa Bay Lightning are incredibly responsible defensively and play a really good defensive uh, game as a team. Not just, hey, we have a good defenseman in Victor Hedman, but as a team, they play, they're committed to the defensive game. And I don't see that with the Oilers at all. Never have. And I think it starts with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I And yeah, maybe you're not going to get 150 points in a season, but I, I, I just wonder. I wonder if, if that's playing a factor. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you 100%. And I think, you know, for a team like Tampa Bay, for example, right, you look at and say, okay, the team was so blessed on the back and they had Ryan McDonough they had Victor Hedman and the best goalie in the world, Vasilevsky, in that. So yeah, when you do want to rush up and cheat a little bit on the, you know, at the forward position, you know, you have those guys watching your back, right? But of course, you're still committed to that that defensive game. You're still playing great in both ends of the ice. So yeah, that's how things work out so well, and you can still grind out other teams and win those two to one battles. Now, when it, I mean, when Edmonton gets down to the nitty gritty time, they're not going to be able to 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 do that. Basically. I mean, to put it frankly. You know, they can't sure. do that kind of play that kind of hockey. And so, um, you know, and they're not blessed enough to have a superstar goalie. They don't have, you know, a top notch, top 10 defenseman, you know, at least, you know, two top 20 defensemen easily. Uh, if you count McDonough in that conversation. So, you know, again, Edmonton doesn't have the personnel to play that type of game. But I think, you know, over the next year, you know, maybe this offseason, they move some pieces around and try to bring in one or two guys who can play that shutdown type defensive game and then now you have those forwards saying okay cool now we have to be a little bit more responsible and the perfect example i look at is a guy like johnny goudreau right he was never he was always flashy trying to be you know the superstar forward patrick kane type guy but the minute he tried to you know the minute Suter came in and tried to say hey you know what you need to work on your your defensive game a little bit more he started playing that way and guess what the points still came in anyways right so if edmonton's willing to play that type of defensive hockey shut down hockey the points will still come for McDavid and Dreisaitl, so right, I don't think too they good. have to worry about that. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, and you, you're still going to have players. I mean, you've got goal scorers. I mean, Evander Kane coming in, that was a nice scoop up. Uh, I, you know, as as of this point, haven't heard anything bad about him in the locker room, but that's not really – you're not – I would say that you're you're really not worried about that because generally things don't blow up in a day. Like, uh, a guy like him coming into a new situation, he's going to likely be on his best behavior, and he's only going to be here for, I mean, even if they make the playoffs and go on a long run, four months, oh, which which is probably not long enough for him to really cause a lot of issues. It's it's the year three, year four when, when he's been there for a while, and it's pretty clear that uh, he needs – he's – Evander Kane is like those coaches where you're like, well, we could bring him in for like a year or two, and then we're going to have to bring someone else in because it's 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 like a Mike Keenan kind of coach. Just got to bring him in, let him do his thing, and then get rid of him real quick because it'll be a problem. <laughs> That's Evander. What I Kane. will say about what I will say about Kane though is like, so when he was with San Jose, he was expected to be the guy, the goal scorer, right? When he was in Buffalo, he was expected to be the guy, the goal scorer. Well, here in Edmonton, he's not that guy, sure. right? He's third or fourth down on the pecking order here in Edmonton. So, you know, he, he doesn't have to show up every day and, you know, he doesn't get ragged on by the media as much. So hopefully that works out a little bit better. Very true. It, you know, it, not in a Phil Kessel was a, 
a much better human uh, than Vander Kane has been <laughs> so far. Uh, not that he can't you know, turn things around for his life, but uh, it reminds me of Phil Castle going to Pittsburgh on the ice, right? Like a guy who had been called upon to do everything wherever he had been, uh, where he had been previously in Toronto, and he goes to Pittsburgh and he's just one of the team. And he succeeds and they win. Right, like I, I think this situation could be like that for Vander Kane, and hopefully, whether it's Edmonton or somewhere else, he is able to and smart enough to go sign with a team where he is not the guy, and that he's a complimentary piece who can still put up your thirty goals for you in the regular season and wreak some havoc, uh, which would be, I'm sure every team across the National Hockey League would would love to have that, minus the, you know, personality and the guy who the guy is off the ice, but. Um, okay, the let's one one last thing with the Oilers. What move do you see them making here as we you know as we approach the trade deadline? Uh, are we getting a goalie or are we just like I, Ken Holland's baffled me thus far? I know that Corpusallo was in the mix. Uh, they didn't want to give up. I think they were asking for like a second and a third for Corpusallo. They didn't want to give that up. Um, they offered a. I think it was Elliot Friedman said they offered a fifth round pick for Martin Jones, and uh, Philadelphia said no thanks because why would you give up a a goalie for a fifth round pick at this point? What's the point? You know, what's the the reason you're going to have to play somebody anyways? And Martin Jones has been playing just fine for Philadelphia, so a fifth round pick definitely not going to cut it there. Uh, what are the Oilers going to do? Because it seems like Ken Holland's kind of weary about this team. And he's not willing to re- to move a lot of significant pieces to bring this team up to snuff. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I think Edmonton, if they could add anything to the mix outside of a goaltender, they would like to add a number two, number three right-handed shot defenseman. But again, it's not in the cards for them, in my opinion, because again, this team just doesn't have the you know the assets to move. They don't have good prospects. They don't have enough salary cap to really bring in a big-name player. So in my mind, really, I think you're going to have to go after a young goaltender. Not a young goaltender, I'm sorry. A backup goaltender who potentially could be a number 1B type guy and hope that maybe he comes in and just shines right in. Like sometimes the change of scenery guys come in and they shine for just just a small window, right? They come in and they just look excellent. And so I think maybe you might want to look at one of those type of players. And now in my my opinion, yes, Corpusala would be one of those players. Uh, but outside of him, maybe you could go after a guy like, for instance, Thomas Grice in Detroit, who obviously is likely going to be on the move and I think could potentially be a good 1B for a team that maybe, you know, again, when we saw him in with the Islanders, right, he played some good hockey early on in Detroit. He was playing some good hockey this season. Maybe not so much, but again, I think if you put him in the right situation, he can still succeed as a, a decent back of goaltender. Um, we've seen it with Martin Jones. He goes in you know, a different situation and ch- just has a little bit more success, so um, you know, another guy I could look at too uh, might be Yurislav Halak. I think you know, again, Vancouver doesn't really want to pay him his bonus, but uh, right. You know, I'm not I'm not sure if he's crossed that threshold yet or not. But, uh, he's got you know, he needs to, so he needs to start ten games. He has okay. played in ten, but he has only started nine. So once he starts his tenth game, they will be paying him another one point two five million or something like that. So right there, you go. So yeah. I think there's a guy that maybe they could come in and they can defer that bonus. I think maybe to next season's salary cap, but sure, yes, hundred uh, percent. That is what happened. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, don't. Yeah, but take still, it I, I think there, that's a guy that could come in and potentially, you know, take over in in Edmonton. I think that's ideally what I would like to see them go after too, outside of a right-handed shot defenseman. Okay, uh, and in my mind, the 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 player that they should be looking to move, um, admit that you made a terrible trade for Warren Fogle and and hope that somebody is still high on him because he hasn't been good at all for the Oilers. He got five goals in 45 games. Uh, I guess not that you were expecting him to put up huge points, but you were expecting him to play a little better defensively. He's a minus 15. He's been he just hasn't found a spot and maybe Woodcroft can find a spot for Warren Fogle where he can succeed. Uh, but making almost $3 million a year for the next couple of years. I, I mean, he's definitely one of those hampers on the, 
on the salary cap because that's money that you could use on the defensive side of the game for someone who's really doing nothing offensively. Like you could you could slot in some guy on his ELC and he's going to put up 15 points in 45 games. So, uh, yeah, I would yeah, say no, Warren Fogel's the one guy on there who's making decent money who you could move. Yeah, and at 25 years old too, I think there's still enough teams given he's shown that he can put up 30 points. You know, I think there's enough teams out there that might take a chance on him that I mean, obviously, I don't think you're going to get anything back for him. They no, might give you no. a six-round pick, but, um, you know, again, it might be worth taking next to nothing or future considerations just, just for to the get cap space. Your books. Right, right, just for the cap space. Okay, well, let's move on to the Boston Bruins. Uh, the Boston Bruins have been kind of an enigma this year. They they have been very, very good at times, uh, absolutely dominant, and then they say you know what, uh, we should probably bring back Tuka Rask. He wants to come back, and it's fair. He's been with them for a very long time. So Tuka Rask says, I want to come back. I think I can I think I think can do this. Uh, I think you owe it to him to let him try. And uh, obviously he goes and he gets hurt pretty quickly again, and uh, he's calling it a day. But the Bruins, since Tuka Rask have, has, you know, came out of retirement, well, not out of retirement, but like came back, signed with the team, uh, in the last 10, they're 4, 5, and 1. They were really rolling before that. I think that it really threw a wrench into what the team had going. And uh, and I, I think you've probably slightly insulted Jeremy Schwayman, who was sent down to the minors to keep Tuka Rask up there. Like, I, in my opinion, I, I think... I think Ultimately, you look back at that and you go, whoops, we probably shouldn't have interfered with what we had going. Uh, but now the Boston Bruins, they're without Brad Marchand for the next five more games because of a suspension that he doesn't think that he should have gotten any games for, which is pretty interesting because he slashed a goalie in the face. But uh, yeah, the the Bruins sit in an interesting spot. They're, they're going to they're gonna make the playoffs, uh, but how good and how quick like can this Bruins team win around against any of the teams that they would play in that first round or uh, or do they kind of keep falling yeah I don't boy this this team's an enigma to me because at times like you said you look at them and they can be so dominant uh, the way they play the game but at other times they look like honestly they they're lucky to even be in the playoffs right or to be in consideration for the playoffs now I Again, I agree. I, they're going to get in the playoffs. They're going to, you know, have to face a juggernaut in the first round, and they're going to lose. I mean, there's there's no simple way to put it unless one of their goaltenders show up and steal the show. I, I just don't think this team has enough firepower to get it done. And obviously, it's been nice at times. Uh, for the most part, I think, uh, Eric Holla between Pasta and, and Taylor Hall has been pretty good for a second line. But the problem is, you know, Patisse Bergeron's getting, you know, he's 36 years old, still one of the best faceoff guys in the league. But, you know, He's got to stay healthy. And then Brad Marchand's got to not be suspended or not be in the box, right, to be effective. Sure. And so if he's not doing that, this team's in trouble. Because when you have a second line of Jake DeBrusque and Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith, you're in trouble. There's no other way around it. Um, so that's the problem for this team, too. If they get in a battle, a scoring battle, especially like, for instance, with, say, the Florida Panthers or the Toronto Maple Leafs, they got to face one of those offensive juggernaut teams. Boy, it's uh when you get down to depth scoring, it's going to be impossible for Boston to keep up, in my opinion. Yeah, it, I, it definitely it looks like they're going to play one of you know one of Tampa, Toronto, Florida in the first round. Like those four teams are are in in one sense doomed to play each other. <laughs> it's it's going to happen. Like no one out of any of the. I mean, I guess you know you look at the you look at the Metro. And you say, well, you don't want to play Carolina in the first round. But beyond that, I don't know. Like, you look at Pittsburgh and you go, okay, that's fine. They're having success. They they generally have regular season of success. And the last several years, they really haven't been able to, to do much in the playoffs. They've kind of crumbled by the time they get to the playoffs. The Rangers have never won or haven't won a round in the playoffs. Uh, the, and the Washington Capitals, you're looking at them right now. Are you really that scared of them in the first round? I, I mean, of course it's the Capitals, but they're they're not a team that you're going. Oh, if we have to play the Capitals, I don't know. You know that. Whereas, 
I just, man, I look at that Atlantic and that's just a, that's an intimidating first round for any team, no matter what, like if you're Florida and you have to play Boston, that's still an intimidating first round because Boston can put that top line together and you don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know. Or or if you have to play Toronto or Tampa in the first round, I mean, between Florida and Toronto, the two teams that are like, we have to get out of the first round. It would make for a really a really fascinating first round because, you know, obviously one of those two teams is going to make it out of the first round for the first time in I mean the Leafs, they haven't been out of the first round since 2004 and the Florida Panthers haven't been out of the first round since 96. They're the two longest uh te- standing teams with no playoff series wins. Uh so that would be I mean, at least one of them would break their streak. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a shame, too, because you look at that Atlantic division and you say, okay, we're going to lose probably, in my mind, a top seven, top eight team in the NHL right out of the gate in the first round, right? One of those guys has got to lose and go home. Um, And then even more so in the, you know, in the Eastern Conference, you're looking at a top four team going home in the first round, which just sucks. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, if we if we did uh, the old school way, the one through eight, uh, as I see it right now, if it, if it were that way, and now granted that way had three divisions, but we'll just, you know, the two top division winners would be right now Florida and Carolina. So Florida would play Boston. Carolina would play Washington. Tampa would play Toronto and Pittsburgh would play New York. So even in the old way, uh, you'd still be looking at the same, <laughs> the same thing, uh, one way or another. the The Leafs are playing some ridiculously good team, <laughs> and, <that's, laughs> and, and you know we've talked about it before. the The high end teams right now, like the top five, six, even seven teams in each conference are so much better than than the bottom teams. Like the bottom teams in in the league right now, there in my mind there's less parity right now than maybe there has been in the last 15 years. I the the way these bottom teams, I mean, Arizona's so bad. You know, Montreal is so unbelievably terrible. I I don't know that we've seen two teams be this bad like they and then you move go into buffalo and ottawa and philadelphia they and new jersey they've all been bad they're all i mean i i know new jersey new jersey randomly goes and beats the st louis blues uh seven four but watching watching the leafs play new jersey uh in a back-to-back you know watching them two games in a row try and keep up with the leafs was it like it wasn't even fair it really wasn't even fair. There's just such a disparity between those the top and the bottom teams now uh, where, you know, maybe 10 years ago you went, man, the eighth seed has a shot to beat that top seed every year. I don't think that's the case right now. Like, I think that probably Florida or Tampa would, probably, like, like you said, probably roll with Boston. I mean, they are scary because of that top line, but they just don't have the depth. So without the depth, there eh. is there any way that they can you know do you think they're going to go out and acquire somebody to bring themselves up the snuff with the rest of that division yeah i think if boston's going to make any moves at the deadline i think obviously right getting some more depth scoring would be great but to me i think their biggest priority is going to solidify a top four defenseman on the left side right i think you know obviously the biggest candidate in my mind that sticks out is jacob chikrin uh, he would be fantastic to, to play in this you know system with with Boston and you know McAvoy's been great with Grizzlick on the left side but when you look at that second line right they Mike Riley and Brandon Carlo I mean I, I don't I don't know what to tell you there's really not a whole lot outside of McAvoy and so um, you know they need somebody who can lock up that left side a little bit better because boy um, if they have to get into a defensive game I, I think you know again they've got so much money invested you know in and guys like Grizzlick, Forberg, you know, Mike Riley, they've got over nine million, close to ten million dollars invested in these three defensemen that are basically doing nothing for you. Uh, you know, Brandon Carlo's been fine, uh, but you know, again, outside of that, those three guys have done absolutely nothing for you. And you need guys on the left side who can rotate, 
who can play big minutes. And to me, I don't want you know any of those three guys playing big minutes for me. So um, to me, that's the priority. If you're Boston, I know they would like to get you know a big name forward. They always seem to, you know every deadline it seems like they're going after a big name forward. And uh, maybe this year they get lucky, and you know who knows. Uh, David Krejci comes back after the Olympics and says, "You know what? I still want to play in the NHL." Oh boy! Decides to return, so that would be <laughs> you know that would be great be for something. them. But yeah, um, but outside of that, I think their focus needs to be on a, acquiring a big name left side defenseman. All right, let me tell you my move here. I know he's been rumored to go to the New York Rangers, but I I think this could work. Joel Pavelski. I mean, who better to come in and center that second line than Joe Pavelski? Okay, Joe Pavelski, straight up for Jake DeBrusque. Straight up? Straight up for Jake DeBrusque. Oh, see, okay, so here's my problem with that. I love the Joe Pavelski. And in the salary-wise, it works. It it clears the amount of deadline space they have versus what he makes. Yeah, they they wouldn't have to do any, like, and and here's the other thing. Maybe what you do is you say, Dallas, you're going to take half of Pavelski's cap hit and and then you're going to take Jake DeBrusque that would leave that would leave Boston they'd only be taking on an extra million that would leave them with four million left of uh, deadline cap space so that could be interesting too you know that would that would get them uh, some more space and an ability to go out and do more but yeah I do think though as far as you know DeBrusque for anybody is concerned when you move a guy like DeBrusque, obviously everybody knows Boston wants him gone. They don't want to keep him around. He hasn't produced at a $3.6 million contract. But for a team like Dallas, you know, yes, getting a young piece would be great. A guy who maybe, you know, can come in and rejuvenate his career. And, you know, he's still young enough to where you can still make something of this guy, right? But to me, the qualifying offer you have to give him to keep him in Dallas is just a little too high that I think you're going to want something back in return. And that would maybe be, you know, uh, a future third round pick or something like that that's going to have to come with them in order to to snag a big piece like Jopa. Okay. Yeah, okay, so what uh, the Rangers have been rumored to get Joe, Joe Pavelski. What what do you think it's going to take to get Joe Pavelski then? Um if, if not a guy like Jake DeBrusque, who I I mean, are are the Rangers giving up a first round pick for Joe Pavelski? Yeah, I honestly think um you know Yes, the 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 Ryan Strom rumors, right? I mean, obviously he's not under contract, and you know they're trying to debate whether or not to keep him around long term. Uh, that's been going on, but I do think, uh, obviously, if you're if you're Dallas, right, the starter conversation is you start with, uh, you know, maybe in you know, Capo Caco, you start with a guy like that. Obviously, they're not gonna not gonna let that fly. Uh, no. <laughs> but, or maybe a Brandon Schneider on defense. I don't know. Uh, I, again, these are pieces that I think are starter conversations for Dallas that you know Rangers will shoot down Im- immediately. But I think in the long run, it's just going to come down to draft picks, right? Maybe they're going to have well, to throw. That, yeah, in that case, you're a giving up a, fir- a first round pick for for Pavelski. I mean, maybe straight up a first round pick. I, first round picks, things have just changed so much. Uh, teams are just not willing to just willy nilly throw around their first round picks for a rental. But I mean, right? Pavelski's, and that's why I think a couple seconds, maybe. But I, I yeah, I don't know. I in my mind, I guess you're looking at would you, would you rather have two seconds, or would you rather have a guaranteed player who you know can play in the NHL like Jake DeBrusque? Oh sure, yeah, absolutely. I I mean, again, there's less of a risk with a guy like Jake DeBrusque, but to me, the salary issue is is where it comes into play because now what you got to give him four million dollars to qualify him. I mean. I don't want to pay Jake DeBrus four million bucks, so no, you, better you don't. Get but him you, signed. but you can sign him, yeah. And maybe that's where you say, "Well, we want to talk to him about an extension then," and you see if he's willing to sign something more like a three million a year uh, extension for right. three years or two years or something. Two years, I think, would take him to unrestricted free agency. But, but yeah, it'll be. Uh, I, I mean, the other thing is the Dallas Stars. I mean, as much as as Joe Pavelski's been rumored, the Dallas Stars are going to make the playoffs the way they're playing right now. They are three points out of the playoffs with four games in hand. Uh, They're going to make the playoffs. So maybe all this Joe Pavelski talk is uh, is moot because I don't I don't know that they're dealing them if if this is the case, you know. 
Oh, no. If they think they can get in, they're not dealing it for sure. No. No way. Yeah. Uh, things can change in an instant, you know, where we're like, man, the stars just don't look like they're uh, anywhere close. And then, bang, there they are. And suddenly nobody's talking about trading John Klingberg anymore. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's skip on over to the Vegas Golden Knights, who are in a – they were in a predicament. And uh, there's talk about Mark Stone going on LTIR uh, because he's been having a recurring back issue. That was it, that's what held him out uh, earlier in the season was a, was some kind of back issue. So uh, there's chatter, I guess, that they're going to put him onto LTIR so he can uh, get some rehab for his back. And while he's on LTIR, Jack Eichel will come back. And uh, if that's the case, obviously those numbers work. Uh, he's a $9.5 million cap hit. Jack Heckel's $10 million, so it, they, they'll be fine uh, in terms of, of the cap hit there. So then do they just pull a, a Kucherov and just keep a Mark Stone out until the playoffs, bring him back, and away you go? And and then, then you've got your team, and then you can figure it out in the offseason. Do you think that that's, uh, that that's what they end up doing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? Because then you, you get stone healthy. You know, as Vegas, as weak as this, this specific division is, and, and in my mind, you know, right now, LA and Anaheim look like, eh, they may, they may not make the playoffs. We don't know, you know. So those two teams are very questionable. So between yourselves and Calgary, really, you're almost a lock for the playoffs if you just keep playing some decent hockey. So, you know, again, Getting Jack Eichel is going to be your trade deadline acquisition. We know that. That's how Vegas is going to consider this move. But um, And then getting Stone back for the playoffs, much like Kucherov for Tampa Bay, it's going to be a huge addition. Um, the question mark for me, though, for Vegas is not so much those two guys between Eichel and Stone. I'm more curious about Alec Martinez because he's rumored to be coming back here pretty soon as well. And once his cap hit comes back, then it's tough to get Jack Eichel back in, right? Um so now you have to – I mean, you almost have to move salary out to fit him in. So maybe you have to move three to four million bucks in, in salary cap just to try to make, you know, Alec Martinez fit. Because, again, you don't want to lose out on, you know, a guy like that coming back to the lineup because he's such a big piece of that back end, um, you know, between, you know, Theodore and Petrangelo. Um, you know, again, what do you do if you're Vegas to try to squeeze him in? And, of course – the obvious candidates people have been looking at, you know, Evgeny Dadanoff, Riley Smith, Jonathan Marshall, show that one of those guys have got to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and the most obvious one, I guess, in my mind is Dadanov because he's the least productive of uh, of those players, sure. and he's under contract for multiple years. Like, it's one thing if they get rid of Riley Smith, okay, that's fine. Uh, but there, there are they're going to be right back at this again in the off season because they're going to have to move someone else because there's, you know, th this way, if they trade to Donov, then essentially, you know, Hey, Riley Smith's contract ends and you've traded to Donov. So that's 10 million that will be off the books for next off season. And then you're, and then you're, you're in a much b more flexible position. Uh, so, I mean, if they can trade to Donov, that in my mind is the most ideal uh, they obviously can't take hold any salary. So if they're trading him, they're trading him to who knows. So, I mean, he has a, he does have a no move. Uh, 10 teams. 10 teams. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like, it's not like you can just deal them to the Arizona coyotes and call it good. Uh, although I don't <laughs> know that they would take them, but you know what I mean? Like you can't just deal them to a bad team who's willing to take on his contract. And uh, it's likely in my mind, like, I guess for Dodonov, you might get a third round pick back for him. You know, he's like a he's probably about a forty point a forty point player, twenty goal guy. So I mean, it's it's not as if he's completely unproductive, but in my mind, he's the guy that that has to go. But even even so, that that might still not be enough to get it done unless unless you're putting these guys on LTIR, which it looks like they're going to try and do. Sneaky. The other thing, I guess, might be William Carlson. You sticking oh. a, you dealing William Carlson? I mean, he's he's six million. He's only got seventeen points through thirty three games. Uh, 
is someone willing to to take that on? I mean, he's 29 years old now. All these, it's funny. Vegas is actually <laughs> Vegas is an old team. You know, their their best players. I mean, Mark Stone, he's about to turn 30. Max Pacioretty's 33. William Carlson's 29. Uh, Marcia So's 31. You know, you're you're not. Uh, they're not the youngest team in the league by by any means. Uh, <laughs> they. They barely, they don't have very many players under the age of tw- even 26. I mean, especially guys playing significant roles. So that's uh, at least at the forward position. So Yeah, Jack Eichel's going to help there a little bit. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, Jack Eichel is uh, is is the young young one there. 25. <laughs> but yeah, I I guess all that aside, Vegas has, uh, they've, for for variety of different reasons have faltered uh since making the Stanley Cup finals what four years ago uh where what does this team have to do just to get out of the Pacific division and like almost I'll say like get out of their head uh to to make it past you know into a significant area where I, I guess last year they were in basically what was the conference finals of course they go and play Montreal which wouldn't normally happen uh, it looks like they're probably going to play someone like Dallas or St. Louis in the first round. Uh, maybe Edmonton, if Edmonton turns things around and they get going. It's it's a little early to tell who they'd play in the first round, but uh, barring everybody's health and Jack Eichel coming back, you know, it's it. They're not going to have much time together as one cohesive unit, and that that would be the one thing that worries me with them. Is yes, you could get Jack Eichel back. Mark Stone could go on LTIR, but then what? You're bringing back Mark Stone, and it's the first time you've had this lineup ever to start the playoffs. It's not like Tampa Bay with Kucherov, where Kucherov's been there for a long time. You know what you're going to get. Everyone like the guys who played with him before have played with him before for years. Uh, this is a situation where no one's played with Jack Eichel before. And there's that's got to be a concern. In a seven-game series, I think a team could take advantage of that. Yeah, for me, if I'm Vegas, right, I don't want to rock the boat too much. And what I mean by that is these line these line combinations, right? Because Chandler Stevenson with Pacioretty and Mark Stone has been a pretty good top line, right? I mean, Chandler Stevenson, again, ideally is not a guy you want long-term at your number one center position. But I think you throw him in there at that top line with those two wingers and you keep that Carlson, Marsha Show, and Riley Smith line. This is, again, assuming that you work out some magic where you get to keep, you know, get to keep these guys together and you don't have to trade one of them away. Um, keep those top six lines or those top six players together on the lines they've been playing with all year, not to rock the boat, right? And so then you put a guy like Jack Eichel on the third line, top power play minutes. Um, I think you give him the opportunity to not only come back and ease into the lineup a little bit more, but he's the type of guy who, especially in Buffalo, he just takes over a game by himself, right? I mean, he literally will put a team on his back. He literally didn't play with go. anyone in Buffalo. so <laughs> Right, exactly. So now maybe you throw him and you put a guy like Nolan Patrick on his wing, uh, uh, a Mark on his wing, right? A guy who, you know, guys who are responsible defensively and, and Matthias Janmark, and then, you know, maybe he helps jumpstart Nolan Patrick a little bit offensively. And then now you, you know, you can send him out there you know, when those top six guys aren't working and you can have Eichel just take over the game, right? You can ease him back in there and then you don't have to worry about upsetting any chemistry there. And then, you know, again, come playoff time, if it's not working out with those top six guys, then yes, then you have that opportunity to throw Eichel in there and mix things up a little bit more to help jumpstart those lines. But if they put Mark Stone on LTIR, then then your lines are going to be mixed up. You know? Well, so right now they've got they've got Evgeny Dadenoff with Chandler Stevenson and Pacioretty. And so just keep that line as is, right? Don't, I mean, again, okay, leave okay. it as is I got and you just there. let them roll. Yep. And and then, but, yeah, so, but if Mark Stone is the one you put on LTIR, then you've got an open slot on the wing. I guess Carlson could move to the wing. You're not really as concerned probably about a center moving to the wing as you would be a winger moving to center. Uh, so you could you could do that. Uh, or Pacioretty could move over to the right side. I don't know. You know, some guys are weird about that. <laughs> yeah. We went to the, uh, their <laughs> off wing, but I know now it's much more of a, of, of your F one, two, three, as opposed to, Hey, you're, you're playing center. You're playing left wing. 
it's there's much more of a free flowing game anyways but uh, yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do uh because on top of bringing in Jack Eichel I mean there's not much more this team can do you know it's not like they can go out and make their typical deadline splash like they've done in the past outside of maybe they you know if if they were to if they were to move, like be able to move someone you know someone with salary I don't know I don't know who they would there's just not anybody to even move <laughs> right although if Mark Stone goes on LTIR and Eichel comes back yeah then Martinez comes back and there you go there's your cap space so there's they're not doing anything they don't have anything available to them unless they were to trade a Dadanov or something which I'm sure they're not dying to trade Dadanov it's not as if he's played badly I mean, are you going to trade Dadnov and then go out and get another guy who can put up 45, 50 points potentially? Probably not. Right. So, and that's why you hope Nolan Patrick comes back to form a little bit, right? Yeah. That's what yeah. that's what you brought him in there for. Yeah, go out and dominate like you did the the WHL and you'll be uh cool. it'll be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the I guess the the positive is that they are in a even though, you know, yeah, teams have played well. They're still in a weaker division. Um definitely the weakest of all four of the divisions. So, they it, it buys them some time and I mean, when all is said and done, are they're going to be there. They're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to likely win a round or two. But yeah, that that's central. I mean, we're kind of gearing up here for a like a Colorado Vegas conference final, which would be pretty epic. Oh, I hope so. Uh, but eh, other teams have been flying too. I mean, Calgary here, Calgary's three points back with four games in hand. I mean, they're likely they're going to probably pull ahead of Vegas right now. Uh, so there, there's no guarantees they're going to finish tops in the division. Uh, but when Jack Eichel gets back, I think all bets are off, and that's that's what that's what they're waiting for. They're just waiting for Jack Eichel to come. So, yep. All right, let's move on to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, again, like like I said at the top of the show, a team with the fourth best winning percentage points percentage in the league, and uh, they aren't getting much love. I, I think if they were any other team, honestly, like any other team with their their composed roster and their stat lines that we would be talking about wow this team is uh this team could win a Stanley Cup but because of past past experiences with the uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs most people look at this and they go ah, they're probably going to lose in the first round they're not tough enough <laughs> that's just like keeps coming around oh, they're not tough enough and uh, i i don't think that we look at many other teams in the in the NHL, whether they're tough enough or not, and and think that that's why they would lose in the first round. Uh, but my question for you: What do you think that the Leafs need to do to, uh, aside from winning? I, I mean, they, you can't do anything right now about winning a playoff round. There's no winning a playoff round right now. We're in the regular season. But what do they do now to, I guess, solidify their their roster a little bit and 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 make you comfortable with them going into the playoffs that yes, this team is indeed capable of, of being tough enough. Yeah. I don't, you know what the, the toughness, I, I don't know if there's too much they can do to really make any moves that are going to make sense for me. Right. Because when you look at guys that they have to take off, like maybe a David comp for, you know, um, you know, Jason Spezza guys that they would have to, to move or shift, you know, down in the lineup, to really bring in guys to to bring that toughness, right? I, I don't know for me that makes any sense. Obviously, the one guy I think when you know Toronto's looking at the deadline that a lot of you know analysis and writers are all saying this is the guy that's likely to move, and that's Alexander Kerfoot. No, there's um, no way they're going to move Kerfoot. He's been so good for them. I, no, I, I I agree, but you know again, there's got to you know if you're bringing anybody of significance in to help make this team you know that much better, money's got to go out, right? And because money's coming in and, and Kerfoot really is the guy that can probably get you the biggest return right now. Uh, you know, especially at that cap hit for what he's producing. So um, I would yeah, say, I'd I, say I, the only, the only way I'm willing to trade Kerfoot is if I'm bringing in Joe Pavelski. I, okay. I, I think that that would be, if you did straight up Kerfoot for Pavelski and then the stars 
uh, keep half of Pavelski's salary. I, I think that's the only way. That's the only way that you could you could justify trading a center who you know who can do everything is to bring in somebody who's just straight up a, a point per game player and you know he's on pace for forty goals. Like I think Joe Pavelski would be a good, a very good upgrade. Um, as much as you don't want to lose Kerfoot though, uh, who who's I mean still under contract next year, which I think is why Dallas might be willing to do something like that is that he could bring speed to their team. Uh, in exchange for for but like I said, looks like the stars are going to make the playoffs. So who are your other options? You've got Claude Giroux and uh, and like a Phil Kessel. That that those those two players are the only two players that, and I don't even know if Kessel's an upgrade on on uh, Kerfoot. I really I, I don't think he is. They they actually have almost the exact same stat line. I think uh, Kessel's got one more point than Kerfoot and the same amount of goals, six goals. <laughs> so it's not as if, uh, it's not as if he's, he's really been any more effective than, than Kerfa and Kerfa's playing third line minutes. You know, All right. So I'm going to float two names out to you though. Okay. Uh, guys that I think you could probably get done on one and one. Well, one of these guys, I think you could get done on a one and one swap. Um, first guy, Kevin Fiala. I think you could easily just say, let's go Kerfoot for Fiala. I think, Minnesota could use some help at the center position. And I think for Toronto, they still get that production back without having to lose anything. Now, again, yeah, but he's more, he's more expensive. Right. And he's put up the same amount of production as Kerfoot. No, I agree. The, the cost thing is there too. And I think, you know, maybe Minnesota has to send a little piece back with you, a fourth or third round pick or something. Um, because again, they're getting term, right? They're not going to potentially lose out on a guy, um, but, you know, Kevin Fiala is an RFA, so, again, that's another thing to consider. Uh, the other guy that I look at, too, who could potentially come in and slot right in. Now, again, I think this would probably cost Toronto a draft pick along with Kerfoot, but Thomas Hurdle. Um, I think Tomas Hurdle would be fantastic to come in, and he could play center. He can play on the wing. He can ba- basically play anywhere in your lineup. Penalty kill, power play, top minutes. Um, and this is a guy who scores goals too. So yeah, yeah, to me, yes. I would love to see him. Tomas Hurdle would be would be a, a definitely an upgrade um, because of what he brings defensively, and he would be somebody. Even though he's he's not the biggest guy, but he's definitely somebody you would say he like he uses what he has. I mean, he's not small; he's six two, two fifteen. But uh, he just plays kind of he he just skates so well. <laughs> it seems like he's shorter. Right. Uh, yeah, he's he's somebody who is he's tough enough. He's definitely tough. Like he he'll he'll push his way through. He uses his body effectively, um, and you know that he's good in the playoffs. He's always been good in the playoffs when they make it. So, uh, yeah, that would be that would be a very interesting acquisition. But I did actually just see this morning that the assistant general manager of the Sharks, uh, whose name is escaping me in this moment, but. Uh, He's he's the acting GM because uh, their GM is is on medical leave. But Tomas Hurdle, he said, we have no interest in trading trading him, and we're in contract docs right now. Okay. He wants to stay with the Sharks, and uh, and we want him to stay. So I think it's likely that the Sharks do get something done with him, unless Hurdle doesn't think they can win, which. Earlier in the season, Hurdle was venting some frustrations about losing. He didn't like it. He hadn't been to the playoffs since 2018-19. I mean, and does anybody see the Sharks making the playoffs next year? Because I don't. <laughs> I don't see them nope. getting getting any better. So, I mean, if he's willing to stay there because he wants to play there, that's, you know, hey, good on you. That's fine. Uh, if he wants to win, then he's going to leave. That's that's no no ifs ands or buts about it. That's that's how it's going to be. So uh, we'll see how interested Hurdle is in winning. Uh, but he could definitely. My guess is there would be teams who were looking to acquire him with the intention of like he would need to sign an extension with them when he when they traded for him. So that that to me would make it a little harder for the Leafs to acquire him if there were teams out there who were willing to offer him an extension because then you're willing, those teams are willing to give up more assets to acquire him as well. Um, sure. But a Kerfoot for a hurdle straight up would be, would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I I wonder if you know yeah, you look at you look at the composition of their team and you wonder if maybe it's you know, Jake Muzzin hasn't been as good this year. Justin Hall hasn't been very good. I think he's probably the one guy you could I mean, he's making two million dollars. You could move him, uh, and then you need to go out and if you're looking to really upgrade your defensive side, it would be you know getting rid of Justin Hall, using your first round pick, and going out and acquiring a defenseman. Uh, what defenseman that that would be? I mean, Mark Giordano could come in and uh, not for a first round pick, but Mark Giordano uh, would would be a a nice acquisition, even like. Some someone simple as like a Nick Letty, if the if the wings are willing to eat salary and they can move them to someone else and they eat half the salary, you know th- things of that nature. Maybe a even though Rasmus Ristolainen hasn't been the best for Philadelphia, maybe you're willing to take a shot on him uh, if he comes cheap. And then you know, I guess the the big question is you know do the Ducks. Th- when all is said and done, do the Ducks think they can make the playoffs? That's the you know, and the, and then you've got Hampus Lindholm or or Josh Manson, uh, who could potentially be on the on the block. Because as much as it as much as it, there's there's a hope that Anaheim could make the playoffs. You look at the numbers and you go, well, Dallas is going to catch them. Edmonton's probably going to catch them, and and they're going to fall out pretty quick. I think here so. We'll, we'll see, especially if they keep playing 4-4-2, four, four, and two, kind of like 500 kind of hockey. There's no way they're making the playoffs. And maybe in three weeks they look at this and go, eh, we need to get something for our assets. Probably not Lindholm, but maybe some of their other uh, UFAs. Yeah, so let me float this name out to you because I think if, if Toronto's looking to upgrade on defense at all, and I think they do need someone, um, I think it's someone on the right side, right? A right-handed shot defenseman because... You know, again, Miley, or Morgan Riley's been great at that top line, um, but they, they haven't found anybody to play, you know, significant minutes with Jake Muzzin to solidify that second pairing. Well, then that um, was always ju- that was Justin Hall last year, who was great, and then this year right. he's just really fallen off the, off the train there. Yeah, and so maybe Hall moves out, but this name, I think, if you could somehow swing like Vegas did, uh, you swing a three-team trade where you get somebody else to eat, you know, half, then another person eat another half, um, you could bring him in. His cost would only be $2.25 million in terms of a cap hit moving out Justin Hall's money. You know, again, could then could find that wiggle room to bring him in. And that's, to me, an intriguing name that no one's really talking about because, again, his contract is so high. That's P.K. Subban. Mm. <laughs> I think that's a guy who can really bring some, some spark, some fire to this roster uh, on the back end. Now, again, his production's dipped the last few years, but... Maybe he goes to Toronto and finds a spark because he's playing with such talented offensive forwards. Oh, and he's, and he's playing in his hometown right there. Right, exactly. Oh. I, I I don't think it's unlikely that P.K. Subban goes to Toronto, but I think it would be in the offseason. Sure. Where he can sign, like, he's, he'll be 34 in, by the offseason, and he's 33 right now. Yeah, he'll be 34 by the, the end of the season. Um. Is he someone who'd be willing to to do the Wayne Simmons, Jason Spezza? Like he's made nine nine million bucks for a while. He's made his money. Like I wonder if he'd be willing to go to Toronto and and uh, take that you know take that big pay cut. Go go for a a one year one million dollar deal. I don't, I don't know if he's if he's quite there yet, but uh, if he wants to win, we'll see. Uh, one other name, John Klingberg. You know it. He's he's at four point two five UFA. If you're willing to give up your first round pick for John Klingberg at the deadline, um, and you were to you know if you moved him, you trade Justin Hall and a first round pick for John Klingberg, and uh, and you bring him in just for just as a rental, it would definitely solidify your <laughs> your top four. That's for sure. Um, yeah, you'd be. You, you're essentially like we could win. The, you have to believe you could win the Stanley Cup because that that could be something that pushes you over the edge, uh, bringing in someone like that. And I think that Dallas would be willing to 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 move him for that. If Dallas, I mean, even though Dallas is in the playoff hunt, I don't know that Dallas is going to be willing to just let him go for nothing 
because even if they do make the playoffs, are they going to win? No, no, they're not going to win. So do you rather just like have a nice, like a first round exit with nothing to show, lose John Klingberg, lose Joe Pavelski maybe, or do you, you know, do you say, well, we'll keep Joe Pavelski. We think we can sign him to a, a one year deal next year. He likes playing here. John Klingberg's out no matter what. So let's deal him. And uh, with some finagling, I think the Leafs could do it. That would be a that would to me would be the move where then you can put him alongside Jake Muzzin. And I know that both of them play the left side, but uh, they can figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I, good defensemen like that they can play either side, right? So, um, I mean, yeah, that would be huge. That would be great for Toronto because then they get you know a bona fide top pairing guy to come in and who can still put up. Um, just incredible offensive numbers on the back end. Um, you know, and then of course, then now you pair him with guys on the front end that just are, you know, superstar talents. I mean, he, yes, he's had, you know, some decent guys up front for him in Dallas, but he hasn't had that level of talent right. up front. I mean, especially at the, at so, the, in the, in the prime of their career, like, right. I mean, yeah. Not many, n- not many, uh, Austin Matthews is out there. Right. Yeah, so now I mean, you just you look at that too, and for a guy like John Klingberg, who doesn't have any no movement, no trade clauses to really hamper where he's going, so he doesn't have much control. But I mean, if you're Klingberg, you're salivating at that that opportunity to, to to go to a team like that because you hope that maybe you know you can go two or you know two or three rounds deep in the playoffs. But not only that, but then your production shoots up, right? So uh, now you make a case for you know a bigger contract next year. All right, I love it. Um... One last question about the Leafs. Jack Campbell, is he in trouble? I think it's in uh, trouble. He in his he's he's allowed five goals in four of his last nine starts or something like that. Uh, yeah, he has I, he I, has not looked good since uh, since January began. He's got under nine hundred save percentage. Are uh, are you worried about Jack Campbell? No, I'm not worried because I think you know again. Peter Morazic coming back, I think he's going to help push a guy like Jack Campbell, right? I mean, I'm not sure where, you know, Morazic's, you know, health-wise is. Oh, he's back. Um, he's playing. No, I know he's back, but, I mean, I don't know if he's actually at 100% or if they just brought him back a little bit early because Jack Campbell is struggling, right? Um, so assuming Morazic's back 100% ready to go, I think it works out great for this Toronto team because, again, Jack Campbell's going to get pushed a little bit more because, you know, you look at it and you can say, okay, well, Morazic signed – for two more seasons at $3.8 million. The idea was for him to come in and be a 1A, 1B. So Campbell's got to go out there, and now he's got to push himself a little bit more to try to earn that contract because I'm sure he wants to stay in Toronto. Um, obviously, he's not going to go cash in and get a big contract, but I'm sure he'd like a couple bucks. And um, I mean, you know, he was I, in the Vesna conversation just like three weeks ago. I right. think he's hoping for, uh, for his Jordan Bennington contract, to be honest. No, absolutely. And... You know what? I think he's still a quality goaltender, and so I think now when you don't have to rely on him as much, there's not as much pressure on him to be the guy. I think he can go back out there and realign himself mentally and just figure it out. I think he'll be okay. All right. I uh, I hope you're right. I think he will be too. I, I mean, who cares? Guys go on stretches. Like it's funny because if exactly. a, if a forward goes on a stretch where you're like, oh, he hasn't scored a goal in like eight games, um, you know, it's concerning, but it does happen. Uh, but then when a goalie has a few bad games, you go, oh, boy, he's starting to have terrible games. Is he falling apart? No. Right. We, just... we look at Jordan Biggington, right? He's had his last three games he's led in six, six, five, and seven goals, right? So, you you know, I mean, people start to wonder now, you know, is he falling apart? And uh, Well, Biggington's you know. kind of a different story because he hasn't been good all year long. Well, I'll agree with you on that one. <laughs> 24 <laughs> games, less than a 900 save percentage, three, three, five goals against – and it's not that they're playing bad defensive hockey because when Vili Huso comes in, who's got in 15 games a 1-9 goals against and a 9-4-1 save percentage, you, you go, wait, what? <laughs> Vili oh, Huso sure, yeah, is about to be their starter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we'll talk St. Louis uh, next show. There we go. All right. Uh, well, Justin, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Uh, for our listeners out there, you can find us on Twitter at OT Hockey Talk, and uh, yeah, we're uh, we'll be we'll be here. We'll be uh, 
we'll talk to you guys real soon. I don't know what I'm saying now. I'm just, uh, I think I'm, I think that I'm, I'm sitting in my basement right now and I, you know, I turned my heater off because it's cold or because it makes a lot of noise. And uh, now it's actually getting cold in here. So I got to go turn my heat back on. Justin, have a great rest (laughs) of your day. We'll talk to you guys soon.